The Pilgrimage of the Heart podcast is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. We pick up the story where there's three brothers who are super early in the creation. So they've been created... Um, they're some of the first beings created. So, like, they're um, they're luminous, uh, but then we're also you, we're starting to see desire. So, like the idea of a fallen angel, you could say that concept that we all start in pure divinity, but then desires start to creep in, and they end up um, pulling us into circumstances and situations. And so, these three brothers who come from beings that are meant to protect the world they all of a sudden have this desire that they want to have a beautiful kingdom. And so they fly up to heaven and connect with a fellow by the name of Vishwakarman, who's the architect of the universe. So they find him uh, in his workshop full of grit and dirt, and there's lathes spinning, and there's hammers pounding, and it's all um, soot flying everywhere. And then they, they're trying to talk to him, but it's so loud. Finally, they, they get across that they want this kingdom built. And so he says, okay, come with me. And they go through a back door of the workroom, and then they enter into this beautiful, like, heavenly realm. And it's all clear, and, and um, his, his garb changes to a beautiful, like, angelic robe. And so this is the, um, his other element is this being of light and intelligence, so on one hand, we see him laboring and working, and then now he steps into this celestial realm. And so now he's, uh, this is, they just passed through that door. Vishwakarman, the architect, led the three Rakshasha brothers, so these are the three brothers, through that back door into a quiet room, light and clean, ideal for an artist. The goddesses and wives of heaven came to welcome Vishwakarman with glad smiles and cool drinks. And Vishwakarman no longer looked like a metalsmith. Just by going through the door, he had changed into a beautiful, sensitive workman wearing airy clothes and remote from care. Now Malyavan, one of the three brothers, could speak. Prince of artists, You have made the gods flying chariots. You have put speed into the legs of horses. You have given the strong their strength. You have made husband and wife the one for the other from before their birth. And those who love the gods got that love from you. And so in that description... It it actually ties in with our idea that we talked about of prana... So we talked tonight and meditated upon the idea of prana, this energy that flows through all things and animates existence. And so here's, in this story, this is like the personification of it. 
because they're saying that this architect of the universe, he created the gods flying chariots. He puts speed into the legs of horses, given strength to the strong. So he's animated. He's brought the universe into existence. And so that's a way of personifying the energy. Is that clear? Make sense? Okay. When your daughter married the son and found him too bright, you put him on your lathe and shaved him down a bit. What is there you cannot create or model? The goddesses gave Vishwakarman garlands and loving looks, and then he asked Malyavan, who's one of the three brothers, what shall I build for you? So they've come up to this heavenly architect, the creator of all things, and they have enough spiritual presence or enough whatever to to connect with him and ask him for a boon, a favor. And so this we find a lot in in the mythologies and the stories where someone gains enough merit to be granted a wish. Or in this case, in the Indian philosophy, a lot of times they use the word a boon. What boon do you want? What shall I grant you? What do you want me to make for you? <clears throat> and so this is really analogous of our own lives. Because as you start to practice meditation, as you maybe simplify your life a little bit or get out of situations that, you're not, that aren't really healthy for you, you start to develop more personal power. And with this personal power you can then really choose what you want to bring into your life. So a lot of people are caught up in addictions or unhealthy situations, and they can't seem to get out of it. And you see those cycles going over and over in their life. Whereas when you do get develop the, the presence of being, to step out of those situations, you have this freedom. And then the question is, well, what are you going to do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your personal power? And that's the same as these guys flying up and seeing this celestial being and him saying, okay, what do you want? What do you want me to build you? So it's the same thing we do in our own lives. But what do we want to do with our lives? What do we want to build with our lives? What shall I build for you? The three brothers looked at one another and then Malyavan spoke. Build us a home grand as the halls of Shiva, with high painted ceilings, rich in ornaments and flowered gardens. So Shiva, tonight when we chanted Om, I said uh, the A represents creation, the U is preservation, and the M is transformation. So when things revert back into their seed sound and then begin again, another way to say it is uh, destruction, transformation or destruction. And so that's what Shiva represents in the three godheads, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Shiva is the, the great god of transformation. And so these, these guys are saying, we want a house as beautiful as Shiva has. Grand is the halls of Shiva with high painted ceilings, rich in ornaments and flowered gardens. Vishwakarman smiled. He said, I hear that Shiva lives in a drafty hut that every moment threatens to collapse on him. 
Malyavan fell at Vishwakarman's feet. Oh, we are truly ignorant and poor. Make us a fine city, a fortress where we may live. Vishwakarman answered, On earth, the isle of Lanka in the southern sea is vacant. I will build Lanka City there for you, on the brow of Trikuta Hill rising to the clouds, somewhere not far below the highest of its three summits. Before their eyes, Vishwakarman changed again. He became all-seen and had on every side eyes and faces and arms. From his back came two great wide wings by which he fashions all forms and shapes, fanning the air and blowing them into life. Vishwakarman took a staff, went outside, and struck the ground of heaven hard. A golden city arose. There was beautiful Lanka of the golden walls. Can you live there? asked Vishwakarman. We will live in her as the gods live in heaven, said Malyavan. How skillful, what an admirable artist you are. The city vanished. Vishwakarman said, If you like the plan, if you like the plan of it, I will make it real. First I must cut the trees and mine the gold and shape the stones. Have you no helpers for that? asked the brothers. Vishwakarman turned on them. Of course not. Are you mad? When the master carpenter no longer goes out into the forests to choose his own tree, when he no longer cuts it down himself and saws his own boards, then say farewell to the arts. So one poignant moment in their journey is they're saying to Vishwakarman, hey, we want this beautiful palace just like Shiva has. And Vishwakarman says, I hear that Shiva lives in a drafty hut that every moment threatens to collapse on him. And so the brothers are all lost in this illusion that power and this, this energy that Shiva has is in things. You know, they're associating with the big palace and, and wealth and opulence. But Vishwakarman, he sees, he knows, I assume he knows, he's not going to change these guys. It's so hard to change someone's desire. Like if you have a friend who's intent on something, even though you can clearly see it's a mistake, there's pretty much nothing you can do to talk them out of it once, once they're set. And so, but he gives them the hint that, hey, I hear that Shiva lives in this drafty hut. It's going to crash on him at any moment. But, but they won't hear any of it. They're just, no, we want this big city. We want this beautiful. This is what we want. This is what we want. <clears throat> and so he, he fashions the city. And then the other thing he does is he hits his staff on the ground of heaven and the city appears. And then they say, okay, how's this look? And then I can build it for you. Do you want to close that back there? Just so um, they're, they're, the teacher came back from the other class. And so that shows our ability to visualize what it is we're seeking. So in the meditation, we're sitting still, we're motionless, our breathing calms down. And at that time, your ability to visualize things becomes really powerful.
It's hard to visualize when you're in the midst of the day and all this stuff is going on. A lot of people think, oh, I don't have a good imagination or I can't visualize things. But we all have the ability. It just takes being quiet and still for a little while. And that's one of the powers of the meditation practice is your ability to sit down and visualize what you want to achieve in life or what spiritual qualities you want to develop. So it's not always about what you want, but it can also be about, let me be more peaceful, let me be more loving, let me be more forgiving. So it doesn't have to be outer things that you're visualizing that you want, like a big house or a certain relationship, but it can instead be you know, things you want to cultivate within your heart. But this power of visualization is really, really profound. And then what happens is Vishwakarman, he can create the image, he can create the, the uh, model or the plan of it, but then he has to get to work and do it. And so it's the same thing with, our, with ourselves. So you can sit here and visualize you being more loving and more forgiving, let's say, and you can visualize you know, yourself in a given situation being forgiving instead of getting angry. But then you do have to do the work. So you'll leave the meditation hall and you'll have your intention for a certain amount, type of growth. And then life is going to give you the situations so that you can actually do the hard, do the hard work of going out, cutting the trees and sawing the boards and building uh, the life that you want. So it's not just sitting, visualizing and uh, living in the clouds. You've got to then Take, take your actions to create what it is you want to become. Questions, comments on that? Okay. So beautiful Lanka was built. The race of Rakshashas flourished under Shukesha's three sons. So Shukesha was one of the firstborn. His three sons were these guys who won all these things. And that's the race of Rakshashas. They're these beings who protect. So the race of Rakshashas flourished under Shukesha's three sons. Shukesha himself lived with his wife in a small house on the slopes of the Himalaya until he died, a courtly old demon kind to all. But as they increased in number, there was not room nor food enough for every Rakshasha to live in Lanka. Some left the others and prowled roaming through the forests across the sea to the north, and there began to eat the raw flesh of men as they do now, striking by night. They would murder the gentle teachers in their retreats and avoid the well-armed tribes of hunters, as though picking only the easy, ripe fruit from a tree. And so that's, this is like the descent of the Rakshashas. They, they overpopulate. There's not enough food or room for people, and they go out and start this marauding, and they become the bad guys in the story. Then, then we, now we shift up to heaven. So in those days, the heavenly sage Narada sat in the sky 
trying to play a song on his lute of tortoise shell and yellow wood. When he was in a good mood, he was unreasonable, irritable and cross and wondrously disagreeable, and interruptions infuriated him. So that's when he's in a good mood. He could not even tune the lute strings for horrible cries rising from earth's forest filled his ears. Narana set down his lute and soared down to earth. And deep in the forest, he stood angrily before the first demon he he saw and said, be quiet or else. The Rakshasha said, O man, you are my dinner now. I am no man. I live in heaven and... The Rakshasha had swallowed him whole. But Narada was hot as a barrel of embers. The demon spat him out and still his stomach burned. Narada glared at him. Your peaceful days are gone. I will sing such a song. Narada flew back to his lute. He tuned perfectly his lute with shaking hands. And sitting inside a cloud high above the forest, he sang... Dark blue Narayana, come battle these demon rakshashas. And so this is the first battle of heaven. So a little earlier in the book, we just saw the second battle of heaven. So we started um, later in time, the story. And in that second battle of heaven, the gods had been defeated. But this is the first time the whole battle happened, the first battle between the demons and the, the gods. <clears throat> and when, when Narada says, dark blue Narayana, come battle the Rakshashas, Narayana is, we said there was uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So Shiva, we talked about his palace. These guys want a palace like Shiva. Narayana is the middle, the middle god, the god of preservation, the God that sustains existence. So Nard is calling out to him, say, hey, get down here and wipe these guys out. These demons are out of control. <clears throat> and so then, the awful dark shadow of the giant trumpet shell Panchajanya flew over Lanka. The waterborne king of shells roared. So that the conch shell Narayana himself came on the giant bird Garuda in bright armor, bright as a thousand suns. The guards high in the towers of Lanka ran to Malyavan and the brave night wanderers rose into the sky. Their chariots and elephants came racing through the air, their fast-flying graceful war horses, red and white and pale blue, milled and pawed the sky. Garuda flew to the attack. Narayana was hidden by swarms of demon arrows, hard-hitting, true-flying, and thirsty. But the demon horses stumbled. The noise of Narayana's bow turned their elephants to stone. They fell from the sky and broke. Wildly swung the war flags, blood poured in rivers. Lanka was measured in corpse lengths. Narayana beheaded Mali, one of the three brothers. 
Shumali and Malyavan, the other two brothers, fled wounded and burning in grief down to safety in the underworlds beneath the sea through an ocean, through a door under the ocean. Garuda, the great bird, shrieked and screamed and turned in the air like a hurricane. Narada's arrows flew, white-hot flights of arrows humming, piercing the entire forest, raining down into Lanka City. The Rakshasha pride was fallen. Their heroes were dead, the southern sea was stained, the forest ran red with Rakshasha blood. The demons fled like the clouds of doom driven before the black wind of the end of the worlds. Their jeweled necklaces and earrings fell over Lanka Island. Their dark bodies covered the waves. Back in heaven, Narada set down his lute. No living Rakshasha remained on earth. Lanka city was empty. Good had triumphed over evil. But alas, they would be, they would return. <laughs> and so the, the way to relate this into your own life, this type of battle, is, and incidentally, this is what the new cover looks like. If you want to get yourself a copy, I have the old one. This is, this is Ravana the demon. Um, is just looking at your own meditation. So if you see yourself as a universe into yourself, uh, in, of yourself, then there's one part of you that's like Narada, the celestial musician. You're, you're in a meditative state or you, you want to like tune your instrument. You want to tune your mind. You want to bring your awareness and your expression of self to a really beautiful, refined state. But there's all these disturbances. There's all the thoughts going through your mind. There's all the things society's telling you. There's all these energies within yourself. And so somehow you have to deal with all of this. So the story is really a reflection, a personification of what each human being has to deal with in our own lives. And the nice thing about the story is it objectifies it. So, you know, here come all those thoughts of you're doubting yourself or you're feeling insecure or telling yourself, no, you can't do it, you can't do it. But then there's the part of yourself that is really strong and is really powerful and knows that you can do it. And so within ourselves, we have this, um, this battle going on. And knowing that it's going to go on, that it does go on, but also that ultimately this, this light within you can triumph. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste.